Hello and welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock, Editor-in-Chief at Pharma Forum. Today I'm joined by Maruna Sasu. Uh, Maruna is Chief Strategy Officer at CODA, a health technology and cancer informatics organization focused on hematology, oncology, real-world data. Before that, uh, she was head of J&J's Clinical Trial Feasibility and Advanced Analytics team, and prior to that, headed up the digital health and innovation team at Bristol-Myers Squibb. So, a long veteran of digital innovation in pharma, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about that career and that background and how it brought her to the work that she's doing now at CODA. Uh, Welcome to the show, Maruna. Thanks so much, Jonah. First of all, let's let's talk about what you're doing now. Um, What is CODA? Um, how did you kind of get into it and, and what's the, um, what's the mission there? Yeah, sure. So, um, I currently serve as chief strategy officer here at CODA. I'm responsible for sort of the company's direction and future vision and, uh, and really, um, ensuring that we are agilely and constantly innovating and executing for sort of the most cutting edge real world data and its utilization. So what we do here at Coder is we actually take electronic medical records. So those records that patients have to fill out, for example, and then once they have filled them out and you go into the doctor's office, you um, your doctor actually puts notes in there, right? Those records are really, really messy. And so what, what Coda does is we take those records, we make sense of them, we clean them up, and we um, we make them purposeful for uh, research. And the two different organization types of organizations that we currently work with are healthcare providers. For example, when they look to analyze their own data to see how patients progressed on a particular disease, for example, um, we uh, we service that uh, need. And so we push their data back to them on a platform that we have. And secondarily, we actually work with life science companies to take this data and analyze it and utilize it for uh, drug development. So to figure out which treatments need to come to market for special needs populations, for example, and uh, and in addition to that, for for example, making these data available for clinical trial use um, in something that we called external control arms and synthetic control arms. And so um, we take that data, we make sense of it, we clean it, we push it back to those two types of um, uh, entities, and we we utilize it ourselves for research and development. We actually have a lot of partnerships with FDA and other organizations that are working on real-world data themselves, and um, and we actually um, make make sense of that data and perform research in the data to to think to do things like, for example, extend patient outcomes and extend patient lives. Now, Coda, I failed to mention, Coda is actually an oncology com- company currently, and we. Um, have been focusing primarily on hematologic tumors, so blood cancers. So who would you say your customer is? Um, and, and uh, you know, walk me through sort of the, the, the process of you know, how, you, how you come across this data and, and, you know, who you're, all the different stakeholders you're working with and how you're working with them. Sure. So the the I, let me t- talk about the customers first. We actually have two, those two types of customers I just mentioned 
healthcare providers, so doctors, organizations, and hospital systems, right, um, hospital networks, that will come to us and say, hey, we have this large repository of data, oncology data, that we would like to be able to interrogate so that we can understand what our doctors are doing well and maybe what they should be doing to extend um, additional time for their patients' lives, especially in oncology, that's very, very important. Um, in addition to which, they might say, we want to um, also look at um, quality of life for oncology patients as well. And so they come to us and we, um, we go into their system. We actually tap directly into their electronic medical records and we, um, we clean that data up because it's really, really messy. So we go in and we scrub it and we pull out parts of the data that are in text form that need to be placed in a data set for the data to be analyzable. So that's sort of what we do for the healthcare provider. In addition to that, they might say, hey, we don't have people who do this, who, who can analyze this data. We want to analyze it, but we, we can't because we don't have people, all of our people are doctors and nurses and things like that. Um, and so what we will also do for them at times is we will, if they want to ask a question of that data, we will perform that work. We have data scientists and we have analysts in-house that performs that work. So say um, that a doctor might ask the question, I have this patient who is female and she has this particular diagnostic and um, diagnosis and she need, she we're looking at treating her with this particular set of treatments. They might look at other patients that look like that patient and that um, such that they can see what treatments were utilized and, and potentially ex extend that person's life. Um, so that's sort of the one healthcare provider customer that we have. The other customer, so as we do this with the data for the healthcare provider, they will, they will um, contract with us to do this work. As we, we take this data out of those systems and we parse it for utilization for research and development, we also typically work with life science companies on the other end, and those data sets are, can also be made available to life science companies, um, uh, especially R&D functions. And so in, in those sets of instances, what we typically do is we are interrogating the database, for example, for a signal. So say um, that same patient that I just described was treated with a certain treatment regimen, and she really responded well to a particular type of treatment that it that um, uh, hit a particular biomarker. Well, the life science company might take that and say, all right, this person is responding well on this. We may want to develop our drug in this way to make it even more efficient and efficacious for her um, and, and patients that look like her. And so, that's sort of one use case. The other uh, one that we utilize uh, on, a, on an ongoing basis is FDA has, um, has really stated that we can utilize real world data to augment clinical trial arms. So for example, on a control arm in a clinical trial in oncology, you might find patients that are enrolled that have um, been exposed to standard of care. Well, in order to, to do that clinical trial, you have to enroll a whole bunch of patients on that arm and you have to compare that arm statistically to the arm that was placed on treatment. And so to reduce the burden of that, of that um, control arm, you can actually perform that work and those analytics in a database. 
And so we call those external control arms where the, the control patients are found in a database and they have been historically treated with a standard of care, but you don't have to enroll those patients because you can compare, essentially statistically compare the databases on the treatment to the control arm that you now have in a data set form. So um, that is something that we're doing all, uh, all over the place. We are actually really happy to say that we have achieved um, a regulatory approval in multiple myeloma with our data. And we have about another dozen or so projects ongoing, um, mostly in hematologic cancers, but some in, in solid tumors cancers to, to actually do this. And that's something you're doing, getting the approvals yourself. It's not through a partner who's another life sciences company or another biotech. So the typically speaking, the approval itself is achieved by the life science company, but the life science company has to perform the whole clinical trial, and that usually takes three to five years. Well, with CODA's data, and they come to us and they sort of purchase the data or they they um, a partner with us to put together the data, that data set is saving them weeks to months off of that timeline. And, and um, we all know that drugs, drugs on market um, can't come soon enough, right, for these patients, especially in the oncology space. So, uh, so it's really kind of shortened, it's, it's shortening the timeline to drugs to market. And it's also uh, providing a lot of patient benefit because our life science clients who are actually getting the approval um, are, are able to submit a lot sooner. So, um, so the, the approval itself is actually for the life science client, but the CODA data is helping them to achieve that. Got it. Um, why the focus on oncology and, and hematology? Uh, especially, you know, it seems like you ought to be able to do this for, for any, any data, but, um, but also I can see, you know, since you're doing the analysis and things, having that specialty, you know, m- makes sense. But how did you get there? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, that has a long history in the history of digital health, actually. Um, so I am happy to say, I'm very proud to say that I was probably one of the first um, parties uh, while I was working at Bristol-Myers Squibb to, um, to have had the opportunity to work on digital health and data. Um, and that is at the very beginning of when this all started, maybe 10 years ago or so. Um, at that point, there was no data. There was no real world data. That wasn't a thing. People were talking about it. They were talking about um, insurance claims data and utilizing insurance claims data to understand the patient better. But insurance claim data doesn't have a lot of um, that really rich, deep patient data that you need to understand a patient for research purposes. And so um, we actually partnered uh, from Bristol Myers Squibb with several of the companies that you see on the on, in this space today, um, and some of the competitors to CODA. And at the time, Bristol Myers Squibb was working in oncology. <laughs> so a lot of um, a lot of the work that you see and a lot of the, the data sets that are out there on the market happen to have been in oncology because that is where sort of the start of this all came. Um, and not only that, but um, I will say there was a, a shift in the way I think the world viewed cancer. And at some point, I, I can almost recall a moment in time when I felt I said, okay, the world is trying to solve cancer. And so I think it started there for a couple of different reasons. The market push because of Bristol Myers Squibb and other companies that invested in oncology data sets. 
Um, but in addition to that, there was sort of a, a world level shift where um, FDA came out with guidance and many of the other regulatory agencies around the world sort of said, we are going to buckle down on oncology and try to figure this out. It started in solid tumors. Now it's moving much, much more into hematologic tumor tumors. And so your question about why, why oncology is largely because that is where, um, where the investment came from, but also because this company specifically, unlike other companies, has been led and is led by doctors, by MDs. So um, there were a couple of docs and a couple of data scientists that got together to put CODA together, and they're some of the more renowned oncologists on the planet. Um, and so CODA has continued to sort of bring clarity to cancer, as we like to say, in this space. And, and there's still a, a long a long trajectory for CODA to go. There's much, much more we can expand on, but that's not to say that we are not going to, to focus on other therapeutic areas in the future. Um, oncology is just the start. So that's a good segue to, to what I wanted to ask about next is, is you know, looking at this as a trend, right, beyond just CODA, obviously we've seen a lot more focus on on you know exactly what you guys are doing using real world evidence using more data um, synthetic control arms right um, it really seems to be a, a big trend towards that in in the farmer world in general um, so how do you see that playing out and how do you see your role changing as some of this stuff starts to become more commonplace yeah so um, it's already starting. We got our beginnings in in pretty humble beginnings, I would say, in smaller data sets. What we're going to need going forward is larger data sets and more uh, brain power to be able to analyze more complex questions and deeper questions because the world is really starting to shift to find the right treatment for this patient. And that rightfully so, everybody is different and they react differently to um, different treatments. And, and there may be a particular pathway that is more well-suited for one person versus another. And so as that starts to change and shift and pharmaceutical companies are continue to utilize real-world data, I think there's going to be a need for more specialty data. So going after cohorts of patients that are um, an unmet need, um, that might be a smaller population of patients, for example, um, maybe even a rare disease. Um, eventually, it seems to me that if we're going to get to personalized medicine, everything is going to be treated like a rare disease. So CODA is really well-placed for this, where we got our start in exactly that. Small cohorts of patients that are very complex, that are um, that can be customizable, where we're going after patients that have a particular type of inclusion-exclusion criteria. And there may only be, you know, 30 patients that are that are eligible for that type of treatment. Um, so we are very well poised for this, and we're also very well poised for another use case in this area as pharma companies get ready to utilize real-world data more at scale, and that is very large cohorts of patients, so exactly opposites on the spectrum, right? Small, small, small cohorts and then very large cohorts of patients, and that those I would call those databases. 
um, where you are able to tap into a database and ask a question of that database and have the ability to find at least a handful of patients that meet the criteria that you need. So I'm curious about some of your experiences um, that, that led you here. Um, I, I think, you know, the topic of, of innovation in pharma and digital innovation in pharma, huge interest to our, our listeners and our readers. And um, having had kind of that front row seat at, at Bristol-Myers Squibbs and at Johnson & Johnson in this sort of different perspective um, at CODA, I'd love to hear your thoughts on sort of the whole... I mean, I, I always talking to people who say that, you know, innovation in pharma is uniquely hard because of the risk aversion and the, the regulatory structures. But at the same time, we're in an age where it's definitely happening, um, you know, in uh, in a big way at, at most of the big companies. So, you know, over the last few years, having been in those positions, how how have you seen that innovation kind of culture and environment change? Yeah, it's... Um... I got to be honest, I think I went out on a limb when this all started and I and I sort of went to to uh, BMS's leadership and said, we've got to do this. And they put me in charge of it and they went, "Okay, how? What do you want to do? Right. I had the privilege of working with a lot of very open minded leaders. It's happening, but it's it's happening a lot slower than I would like that I would have thought, given the environment that surrounded me at Bristol-Myers. So I actually wanted to do something very similar at J&J. And and, and it was, um, it's just different. Um, Every company has its own culture. There has its own way of of sort of moving about these things. As you would imagine, the larger the company, the harder it is to push it over the edge on something. But um, it it um, honestly it, it worked, and I think um, the my work there and and getting those organizations ready to receive what Coda has, and what other organizations like Coda have, um, was just a part of my journey. And I felt um, I felt really good about where I left those two organizations. And when I moved to Coda. Um, because you're right, the, the, they are re- relatively risk averse. Um, but when I moved to CODA, I felt that those two places were were sort of ready to to go on um, understanding and and really placing real world data along the entire drug development continuum. And that comes from you know discovery in the labs and really understanding the molecule itself all the way to post-commercialization where it's in the clinic, people are getting treated with it every day. So I saw that happen at BMS, um, at J&J, um, you know, there, there are still folks working on it, but I think it's happening more and more across the board. And when, um, when I see these organizations coming to us and saying, hey, what can you do here? That is just a, a really special moment because I felt feel like I contributed um, to to some of that. But what I will say is, and you asked me about sort of my how did I get to Coda? I've worked with companies like Coda throughout my entire career. Um, folks that that know me and the teams that I had um, built over at BMS and J and J sort of say that um, that we incubated um, many of them. So if you look at companies like Coda and um, competitors of CODA, uh, I have probably worked with and touched almost everybody that is still on the market. And I, you know, I, a little piece of my heart goes to everyone 
in the ecosystem because I truly think it's a puzzle. It's not, um, you know, I, yes, they are competitors, but it's not um, a place where I would I would say one needs to exist and not the others. The whole ecosystem makes the holistic patient population because ultimately we want to understand everything about that patient population. And so for me, that was definitely um, uh, something that I that I sort of wanted to achieve. The secondarily for me, oncology is a really special space. Um, my grandfather was diagnosed with stage three lung cancer, um, sorry, four lung cancer actually, many, many years ago. He just passed away of old age. Um, he entered a clinical trial he was treated with an exploratory medicine and he lived for another 30 years. And so that's another piece of my story that um, I think Coda, you know, sort of spoke to me and I felt was, was the right place for me to be, um, not only from the career perspective, but also from the personal side as well. So what do you see happening in terms of, of how we treat cancer and how we think about cancer as a result? of these big changes to how we can do development, you know, using this data. And do you, do you think it's, it's causing or going to cause kind of a, a sea change in some of those, um, you know, not just the pharma sector, but in the healthcare sector? I do. I think, I think in the pharma sector, there's a bit more uptake about how to utilize this data. On the healthcare provider se sector, I say I'd like to see more progress. But I think the two together and actually adding payers in there, I think it can be a really nice ecosystem to have the ability to really push the extension on patients' lives. Um, I know people say we want a cancer, you know, we want a, a, a cancer um, cure. Um, and for those of us who have been working in oncology for a, a long time, it's very well understood that cancer is actually not just one disease. It's many diseases. It's, it's in every organ system. It's in every part of, you know, cell of the body. And um, because of that, I don't think that there's one cure. I think it, the cure and, and currently what I would imagine folks would say a cure would be is how do we, how does a patient live with the diagnosis, a full extended life? Um, and so really um, I think Getting there um, is going to require uh, a bit more talk between the three parties I just described, between drug development, healthcare providers, and payers, because we want to be able to incentivize the development of drugs and treatments, and we want to have the ability to pay for those drugs and treatments on an outcomes-based basis, right? Um, so we can say, well, this one worked better for this patient and therefore that's the right treatment pathway. I don't think we are quite there yet. I think pharma and life sciences are, are poised to, to do this on the drug development side. They're doing it in the clinical trials. We still have a way to go. Um, I would like to see, I, looking back, hindsight's 2020, right? But looking back in maybe from 10 years from now or something, I'd like to see that drug development timeline get at least five to 10 years shorter because of real world data. Um, I don't think it's there yet because life science companies are not quite utilizing the data across the continuum of drug development. In terms of healthcare providers, 
Um, they have the ability to look at this data and interrogate these databases today. Whether they do or not is typically up to them. I would like to see a shift where that's not left up to them, right? I'd like to see a shift where healthcare- There's an expectation. Yes. But there's an expectation that it is data-driven treatment decision, right? Um, right now, it's uh, the treatment decision is is up to the doc. They are, um, of course, the experts in their field, and they were educated very well and lots. <laughs> and um, so it's left up to them. But does that mean that they're reading every journal on the planet? Does that mean that they know about every treatment that's new? I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe not. Um, regardless, data could help them to to make those decisions. And I think some of them are doing that. Um, and some of them maybe a little less. Um, so I'd love to to see that get pushed a little bit more. So we're coming to the end of our time. I just wanted to make sure there wasn't anything else you wanted to discuss that we hadn't talked about yet or anything you wanted to, you know, um, clarify. Uh, anything you want to say to our, our audience, you know, of, of, of pharma innovators and, and folks who are aligned with the field? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing we didn't hit on is diversity. Um, one thing that is really near and dear to my heart is diversity and specifically diversity in clinical trials. Um, utilizing real world data for clinical trials and, and drug development, um, as well as on the back end for understanding populations once the drug is commercialized and into the clinic is really important. And it's not just important to the research itself, but it's important to patients. And what I'd like to see is more uh, life sciences companies utilize real-world data in new innovative ways, like, for example, prepping their clinical trials for more diverse populations so that we can make the drugs available from the get-go from to everybody. Um, so that's a really important part of, of the work that we do here at CODA as well. We actually um, partner with University of Chicago Medicine to do research work there in that space. Um, and we have a lot of uh, life science clients that, um, that work with us on this particular topic. And I'd like to see more of it. I think it's a really important part of performing a clinical trial. And, um, and so in terms of what I'd like to say to the audience is, thank you for supporting real world data. We'd like to, uh, to have you dive in even more and think about innovative opportunities to use the data across the work that you do, um, and specifically even more in diversity uh, work for clinical trials and, and for understanding patient populations after commercialization as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It's a very important piece of the puzzle here. Um, and I think another way that we've seen clinical trials changing just in the last few years, right? We've seen huge growth in decentralization. We've seen an increased emphasis on diversity, though I think there's still a long way to go. And um, and this idea of of synthetic arms and, and using using big data to say when do we really need people? Now, I do wonder how these two things connect together because if you um, if you're going to do a synthetic control arm based on historical data. Um, then you have to ask yourself the question, when that data was collected, were they thinking about diversity in that population, right? Or else 
you sort of can inherit the, the biases from the past. Is that something you guys spend time thinking about at Coda? Yeah, we do actually. It's a really good question. So there is this methodology called propensity score matching. So when a clinical trial um, you know, comes sort of comes up with the inclusion exclusion criteria by which it's going to go out and recruit clinical trial patients. Um, we actually look in uh, the data that we have currently, and um, and we we sort of pick out patients that match that inclusion exclusion criteria. So if the inclusion exclusion criteria, for example, includes a diverse population of patients, and we we can go back into the data set and figure out if those patients are, are, are there. And if they are, we, we actually grab the data for them. And so because the, the data that we collect is whatever patient comes into the clinic, right? Um, so it could be anybody, it's literally just whoever gets treated in, in that oncology clinic. We see a lot of different you know, demographics of, of uh, patients. And so there are always patients that will match inclusion exclusion criteria as long as that clinical trial is looking for them, right? So, so, that, so I'd like to urge folks that in your inclusion exclusion criteria and your clinical trials, you are starting to include diverse populations of patients. And that way we can propensity score match the patients in real world data to the to the patients that you're looking for in on those control arms. Well, thank you so much, Maruna. This has been really fascinating, um, very exciting work that you're doing. And, and more more broadly, I think that the, the whole industry is starting to embrace around using data and, and kind of working smarter, not harder, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I really hope that that catches on, actually, Jonah. <laughs> I really appreciate you saying it. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you all for listening. Um, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up with you again. Thanks so much, Jonah. And thanks, everybody. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for PharmaForum. And don't forget to visit our website, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins, and to follow us on Twitter at at PharmaForum. Thanks for listening. Uh-huh.